If someone were to ask you, why did Jesus come? There are many answers you can give. But the one answer that sums up all the answers is this. I came to testify to the truth. The Truth on Trial, as we continue with Life's Meaning and Purpose, an in-depth study of the Gospel of John. Hello and welcome to the Transforming Lives Together podcast. Whether we embrace it as relative or as absolute, we are all in some ways engaged in the pursuit of truth. The question Pontius Pilate asks in our lesson for this week, what is truth, is deeply philosophical and theological and throughout history has led to many unsatisfactory answers. As we work through John's Gospel, we find the beloved disciple is directing us to understand that it's not what, but who, that truth is not found in an idea, or a system of living, or in an enlightened state of mind, but in the person of Jesus Christ, the incarnate Word of God. Before we turn it over to Father Ward, we would like to say thank you for your time as you tune in each week. We pray you are blessed and encouraged by the content of this podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes, and if you have enjoyed what you're hearing from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a five-star rating and review. Your positive feedback will help us reach more people with this podcast. And now, with this week's lesson in the Gospel of John, here is Father Ward. Uh, Let's continue now. So, in verse 12, we read the cohort, the Roman soldiers, and the commander and the officers of the Jews, the temple guard, arrested Jesus and bound him and led him to Annas first, for he was father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now we're going to read later that Annas is identified as a high priest. And that's because he was high priest from uh, 6 AD, I think, to 15 AD. And then he was removed for political reasons by the Roman uh, proconsul, if I'm getting the terms, it's in your notes, right? Remembering correctly. And then his four sons succeeded him. Uh, But by this time, Caiaphas, his son-in-law, was officially the high priest. But the point being, Luke tells us that uh, he identifies the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. The point being that you might have someone who's high priest in title, but because of Annas's longevity and his uh, respect uh, they they people uh, they, the jewish leadership kind of looked to him uh, so he was like the power behind the throne and so he we don't have this in the synoptics but in john's gospel before jesus is brought to caiaphas he first is seen by annas and so annas was probably trying to feel this whole thing out and probably probably trying to figure out what's the best way to get jesus to be convicted with the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership, and what's the best excuse to then turn him over to the Romans? Because if he is convicted of a capital offense, the Jews cannot execute him. The Romans have to execute him. The Romans would not allow the Jews to inflict the death penalty. And so we have Jesus brought before Annas, Verse uh, 14, now Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. And this was not a recognition that Jesus was the Messiah. 
This was just a political look uh, outlook. Just say, hey, yeah, we, you know, don't forget there were all sorts of views in terms of who the Messiah is and what should be done, uh, and so uh, this was just a further justification for having Jesus arrested to justify it from a political as well as a religious reasoning. Because remember, it was, you have kind of the, the intertwining of uh, religion and politics here. Not a separation, certainly. The only separation is that Rome ultimately has the authority uh, because um, you know, they're, they're ultimately in charge. Verse 15. Okay, so what I'm going to do, what I did in your notes, uh, it helps, is that we, we skip 15 through 18. We'll get back to 15 through 18. And we keep the, the focus on what's going on. So in verse 19, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken. We'll go back to, to uh, 15 in a moment. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together, and I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. So what Jesus is saying is he's kind of exposing the ploy here. He's saying you're doing this in secret. There's no need to do this in secret. If, it's, if you're really a person of justice, everything I said is out in the open. I'm not ashamed of anything I said. You bring others into the, into the equation. Now, they did when he was brought before Caiaphas, and they twisted well, they didn't really twist him. I mean, they did say, hey, he said he was the Son of God, you know. Uh, or are you the Son of God? And uh, he said, I am. So in any event, the point here is that Jesus is saying, I'm not hiding anything. I don't have anything to hide. Now, when he challenges Annas, why do you question me? Notice in verse 22 what happens. When he had said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus saying, is that the way you answer the high priest. So this highlights the abusive nature of the soldiers. We'll see it with the Roman soldiers, but now this is a palace guard or a temple guard. But notice how Jesus responds. Jesus answered him, I, If I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong, but if rightly, why do you strike me? So what is highlighted here is a couple things. First, this is an in, un, injustice that's taking place. Not only in the way they're trying to go about it, but in just common decency. He's being struck and he hasn't even done anything. He just simply asks a question. He says, why do you question me? Second, notice Jesus does not turn the other cheek and say nothing. There's a time to turn the other cheek. There's a time not to necessarily turn the other cheek. And what that means is that Turning, other, turning the other cheek does not simply mean acquiescing to injustice. It doesn't just mean never saying no to wrongdoing. If that were the case, then lawlessness would be the norm. Now, there is a time to turn the other cheek, and um, that's a whole other subject matter. But notice that Jesus doesn't just turn the other cheek and say, oh, hit me again. No, he challenges. Now, he doesn't go and hit the guy and he doesn't attack the guy because, again, that's not the way of the kingdom. But it's interesting to note that Jesus says, hey, why are you doing this? 
And then, verse 24, so Anna sends him or sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And then what we normally are used to him being and the high priest Caiaphas tearing his, his robes and all of that. Those events are highlighted in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Not in John's Gospel. John's Gospel is not so much concerned with the legal matters as he puts more emphasis on Jesus' conversation and time with Pontius Pilate, which we're going to see in a moment, but first we need to look at the denial of Peter, or Peter's denial of Jesus. So let's go back to 15. Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now that another disciple was John, the apostle. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. So another reason why John would know about Annas more specifically, because he was right there. But Peter was standing at the door outside, so the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold and they were warming themselves, and Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. Okay, now let's jump to 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, and then he said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. So this was in fulfillment of what Jesus said earlier, as recorded in John's Gospel, that you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. Now, the significance of this, and then, of course, in John's Gospel, we have how Jesus reinstates Peter by giving him an opportunity to say that he loves Jesus three times. Now, what's significant about this is not just the reality of the disciples forsaking Jesus and denying him, but the fact that Peter is, in some respects, the most courageous one, at least on the outside. He's the one who took the sword and he, he was ready to go do battle. He's the one who said to Jesus, you know, I'm going to die with you. And yet, <laughs> really when crunch time came, he, uh, he blew it. He wasn't faithful. And that really teaches us a couple of things. First of all, sometimes we can get ahead of ourselves. Sometimes we can think we're going to do really great, but we really don't know until we're put in that position. So we have to be careful not to get too confident and not to look down on other people when they fail, thinking, oh, well, what's their problem? I could do the same thing. The other thing, too, is that we can be found faithless at times because of duress. That doesn't mean God's going to give up on us. There's a difference between Peter and Judas. Peter lost faith because of the circumstances he was in. Judas actively rebelled against the Lord. He said, I am against the Lord because the Lord isn't giving me what I want. Peter wasn't against the Lord. He just was overwhelmed. Also, we know that's true because of what happened afterwards. Peter realized he had done wrong and he repented of the wrong. 
and sought reinstatement. Judas was sorry for what had happened. He regretted what had happened. But he really wasn't sorry for the wrong he had committed. He was sorry for how it all ended up. And as a result, he committed suicide. The Apostle Paul highlights the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. He does so in 2 Corinthians Chapter 7, verse 10. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. And so the sorrow of the world is that regret. Oh, this is, oh, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe I did this. And it's terrible. But there's no real recognition of taking responsibility and then seeking to be restored. And it will just lead down a a spiral uh, that ultimately ends in death. And so that's the difference. That's the contrast that is being made between Judas and Peter. It isn't just for Judas's and Peter's sake in terms of their role in what happened, but they are types of people in our world as we respond to the good news of Jesus, to the reality of God. Uh, any, any comments or questions on that? Anything that needs to be clarified or, or added? Uh, when we look at Peter and his denial from the Lord. Well, let's wrap things up as Jesus is brought before Pilate. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early, and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium, so they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Now, the praetorium was where Pilate was. Now, Pilate was usually not uh, there in Jerusalem, but he was there in Jerusalem. Remember, he was... He was the governor of the Roman province, uh, Judea. And he, he would be there because the Feast of Passover, the most important feast of the Jews, had thousands upon thousands of pilgrims all from all over. And oftentimes there would be uprisings because you get these zealous folks, right? The people were really... And then they would get upset with the Romans and, and then they would be teaching these things. And so... All the Roman soldiers, they were on full, you know, full alert. So the residence of Pilate was he would either be at Herod's palace, he'd either take up shop there, or uh, Antonio the Antonia, the uh, the fortress or the, um, and I don't have a picture next week or next time we meet, I'll try to get a picture of that, uh, of where the uh, Roman barracks was, where the Roman soldiers would be. So it was one of those two two places. And so they bring him to Pilate because they want Pilate to do their dirty work. But notice that they're still trying to follow the law. They're more concerned with the ceremonial requirements of the law that they don't get defiled by going into Gentile quarters. And yet, they're seeking to put an innocent man to death. And is that unusual? No. If you look throughout history, even today, where you get these people who, on the outside, you know, oh, we got to got to make sure this is all right, you know. Got to make sure the, the fork is on the right side or the left side and the, and the knife is here. But, oh, we're going to stab this guy in the back. That's okay. Uh, it's the same, same principle. And so we read here, Therefore Pilate went out to them and said, verse 29, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So they're calling him an evildoer. 
What are the charges? So Pilate said to him, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. So in other words, they're saying, Well, yeah, we've already done that, and he's guilty of death from our perspective. Pilate doesn't want to have anything to do with this. This is a religious dispute. And then, verse 32, To fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him. So notice that we're not really getting into the nitty-gritty of them going back and forth in terms of their uh, justification for putting Jesus to death. Rather, the emphasis is on Jesus' conversation with the Roman governor. So we read in 33, Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And really, I've seen commentators say it was basically, Are you? Are you? The king of the Jews, people wanted to see what Jesus was going to say. And notice that Jesus would be somewhat unusual because most guys who are leading a movement, a revolutionary movement that Pilate, I'm sure, had come across were kind of that rebellious kind of, you know, gritting their teeth or scowling or trying to be real, you know, macho. And Jesus is just very calm, cool, and collect. You know, he's, he's in control. And so then Jesus answers by asking a question like he often does. Are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? So actually what Jesus wants to do is get to what's going on in Pilate's heart. Are you interested in finding out if I'm really the king of the Jews? Or are you just kind of doing this because you're being used by the religious authorities of the Jewish people? Now that irritates Pilate. Pilate answers, I'm not a Jew, am I? Now, realize as a Roman leader, he's going to look down on the Jews. He's going to think they're less. You know, he's a, pay, he's a polytheist. He believes in the pantheon of Roman gods and goddesses. You know, he follows Caesar. He thinks the Jews are nuts. And he's like, I'm not a Jew. This doesn't concern me. Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answers, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. So rather than defending himself and saying, Hey, no, I'm innocent. Oh, no, no, they got it all wrong. And really, you know, you need to... uh, I am the king of the Jews. No, Jesus doesn't even say that. He goes to a, a deeper plane. Goes to beyond. What's really important is my kingdom. And it's not of this world. It doesn't consist of fighting men. doesn't consist of lands. doesn't consist of gold. doesn't consist of worldly power. It is totally different in character, in conduct, in origin. It's not of this world. It's of a different realm. That's why he said, then my servants will be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. But you see, Jesus isn't just merely king of the Jews. He's king of everything. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. If someone were to ask you, why did Jesus come? There are many answers you can give. But the one answer that sums up all the answers is this. I came to testify to the truth. Everything Jesus does, everything Jesus says, is ultimate reality. It's the truth. 
And so it goes back to what John was helping us to see. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus didn't just come to talk about the truth, to teach about the truth. Jesus came to show us the truth, and the truth is found in Him. And that's why He says earlier in John 8, 31 and 32, if you are My disciples, you will abide in My Word, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So I have come to testify to the truth. And then he says, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So how do we know if we're following the truth? How do we know if we're of the truth? Are we listening to Jesus' voice? Do we know His voice? Do we hear it? And do we obey it? And then we'll grow in that truth. To which Pilate says to him, what is truth? That's the big question everybody asks. Now what's fascinating is we don't know how Pilate said this. We don't know if he said it sarcastically, like, yeah, what is truth? We don't know if he, he said it uh, scornfully. You know, what is truth? Forget that. We don't know if he said it in quiz sincerely, that he really wanted to know, yeah, what is the truth? We don't know what he had in his heart. But we do know the question. We know it's an important, the most important question. And we do, do know that people, how people ask the question determines everything. If you're really sincerely about knowing the truth, that's, that's going to get you on the path to knowing the truth than if you're like, I, I can't find the truth or I, or I don't care about the truth. And then we read... And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. So this reiterates the point that Jesus is an innocent man. That he's not guilty under Roman law. And he's not guilty under Jewish law because he in fact is the Messiah. So he's not blasphemy. Now next week we'll finish out the trial and then we'll look at the crucifixion. That's John 19. Actually in two weeks. I think one thing I would like to add in terms of us today, there's nothing better, I think, in life, obviously, than knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. But the reason why there's nothing better is because it's the truth. And there are a lot of counterfeits out there. But the truth stands the test of time. The truth doesn't contradict itself. The truth is consistent. You can rely on the truth. And the truth works. And that is why I am a firm believer in Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life and why my faith continues to grow despite all the things that the world throws at us. You have been listening to the Transforming Lives Together podcast, a ministry of St. Bartholomew's Anglican Church in Tonawanda, New York. To learn more about our church, please visit stbartston.org. Again, that's stbartston.org. You can also connect with St. Bartholomew's on Facebook and Instagram through the handle at St. Bart's Anglican Church. And you can connect with this podcast on Facebook through at Transforming Lives Together Cast. We hope you will tune in next time as we continue with life's meaning and purpose. 
an in-depth study of the Gospel of John. Until then, we leave you with these verses from Peter's first letter. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. God bless you.